Let us then turn to Numbers chapter 26. We've just read a portion of it. I'll leave you to read the bits that I didn't read in your own time. It's to be expected that in the book of Numbers you're going to get numbers and names. And the title I want to give to the sermon and meditation tonight is More Than Numbers. More Than Numbers. Because there is more than numbers in this chapter here. And looking to the Lord's blessing, I certainly want to highlight three things that we do find in this chapter. This is the second census. This took place, or took, I took place in the plains of Moab about 40 years after the children of Israel came out of Egypt. The first census, which is recorded for us in Numbers chapter 1, took place on the second year. So there's almost 40 years difference between the two census. It's important in an introduction to note that this was done by the commandment of the Lord. And those of you who will know your Bibles will know that there was an occasion when David sought to number the people of Israel. But he wasn't commanded to do it. But he went ahead and he brought upon Israel a plague. But that can't be said for this one because it was a commandment of the Lord. And there were two main purposes in having this census. The first one is exactly the same as the reason for the first census. What was that? Well, it was simply to work out, to find out how many fighting men were available. Because when they come out of Egypt and when the first census was taken, going to take place, they were ready to go into the promised land. But because of unbelief, they didn't go. But now, almost 40 years later, they're again almost back to where they started. And they are ready. They're on the very verge of the promised land. And they've got to go in and they've got to fight. And they needed to know how many fighting men over the age of 20 that they had. But there was a second reason. And we'll highlight it later on, but I'll just briefly mention it. There was a second reason. Because the first census listed only the tribes and the number. The tribes and the count. But the second included the clans and the families. As well as the tribes and the count. And you may well ask why. Well, because they were going to go into the promised land... And the land was going to be divided. And therefore the larger tribes would have to have a larger portion of the land. So that was the two reasons. To number the fighting men and to prepare them. That when they would get into the promised land, 
they would be able to divide it up according to the size of the tribes. Just one or two things to help us grasp the, what we didn't read. In the first census, there was 600,000 or 603,550 fighting men in the first census. In the second census, it was similar, slightly less, 601,730 fighting men. I don't expect you to remember that. I have it written before me. But the difference, you may well remember, is 1,820. There was 1,820 less fighting men at this second census than there was at the first. In this chapter, we find the Levites were also numbered. And in the first census, there was 22,000 of them. In the second census, there was 23,000, exactly a thousand more. If you look at the census in detail, which we're not going to do today, but if you look at it, you see that some tribes, the number went up, and some tribes, the number went down. People have various explanations as to why this happened. We cannot be certain. But there's one or two things that we can highlight that we can be almost certain are the reason for the decline. Some of the tribes declined, and there could well be reasons for their decline. The available soldiers dropped in number in the tribes of Gad, Simeon, and Reuben, with the tribe of Simeon showing the biggest drop from 59,000, or over 59,000 in the first census, to just over 22,000. As someone calculated, a drop of around 63%. We are going to speak about that later. I'm not going to highlight it anymore. These three tribes, the tribes that I've just mentioned, they were camped together on the south side of the tabernacle and may have been a bad influence one on another. And of course, there's a lesson there, friends, for us. Be careful of your company. Be careful of the so-called Christian company. Some Christians will spur you on. Some Christians will not. Be very careful of your company. Your spiritual temperature can be affected by the company you keep. We read about Dathan and, and Abiram. They belonged to the tribe of Reuben and were part of the the Korah rebellion that is recorded for us in chapter 16. There, 15,000 people died. That may have an influence on why Reuben's number went down. Perhaps many of the rebels came from that tribe. We do not know. Also, the last time we looked at this, we looked at uh, chapter 25. We saw the people committing idolatry and immorality with the Moabites and the Midianites. Well, Zimri 
was a leader in that. And we did that last week. Not a very pleasant study, but we looked at it. Well, he was one from the tribe of Simeon. And it could well be that it was because of what happened there in the previous chapter that brought the numbers of the Simeonites down to such a low level. A drop of over 63%. Zimri's evil example may have influenced other men of Simeon to share in the Midianite idolatry and immorality for which sins they too perished. There are, as I said earlier to you, there are three lessons that I wish to highlight from this chapter. You see, in this chapter we find the second census almost 40 years after the first. The census is more than simply numbering the people. The census reveals three things. Three things that will not be new to us. Three things that it would be good for us to be reminded about. And I am reminded of what Peter says in his epistle, that he is going to put them in remembrance of certain things. And that's the way it must be for Christians. We must be reminded about things that we already know. What are the three things then? The first thing is faithfulness. God's faithfulness. The second thing is God's holiness. And the third thing is God's graciousness. The grace of God. Well, first of all, This chapter, chapter 26, the second census, it reveals unto us that God is faithful. He is faithful. And this is seen in a number of ways. The number of the fighting men dropped by 1,820. 1,820. It was still a very sizable army. And when you think of all that they went through in the wilderness and all the difficulties that they had to live in the wilderness, for God to bring them all through and bring them to the point of the promised land with a large fighting army, slightly less than what they had before, it tells us overwhelmingly that God is faithful, faithful to his people, despite all the provocation, despite all the sin, despite all that went on, Nevertheless, God has been faithful to his people and he has brought them to the brink of the promised land and he has given them the ability to go into that land and to take that land. And it's all displays to us and reminds us again of the glory and the wonder of God's faithfulness. He does not treat us the way our sins so richly deserve. And this is something for, uh, to encourage us. It's not a license for us to abandon God in any sense, but it surely will encourage us. We will fall, we will fail, we will trip up, we will backslide. These are things that will happen to the Christian, but God is faithful. And we could see it in the number of the fighting men who were available to go into that land. And the the very fact that these people had to go through a wilderness experience would probably mean that they were better equipped to fight. 
The first generation came out of bondage. They came out of slavery. Now that would not be an easy life. Let's be clear about it. But it would be a predictable life. All they had to do was work. All they had to do was work their socks off, certainly. They had no time for anything else. It was an organized kind of lifestyle for them. But here, in the wilderness, these people were brought up with all kinds of difficulties and trials. And it would have hardened them to some extent to be able to go out and to fight in order that they might claim the promised land. And the likelihood is that these people would be better fighters than the first generation. And as I mentioned, the new census was there in order that the land might be divided by lot when they got into the promised land. They were always told that they were going to go into the promised land. But if you like, it's gone a bit further. They're not only going to go into the promised land, but they're going to get settled in it. They're going to have their inheritance. There's going to be a division. Everyone's going to have something. They're going to have a portion in it. Not just to get into it, but a stage further. Again, this reveals unto us the faithfulness of God. It also reveals the faithfulness of God in another way. Following their murmurings. After the spies went in to look and examine the promised land and they came back and ten gave the evil report and two gave the good report. The people would not go in because of unbelief. We know they changed their mind and that was a foolish move but nevertheless they would not go in when they should have gone in. And God said to them, to that generation, when they would not go forward, that all of them would die in the wilderness. Their carcasses would fall in the wilderness. And that is exactly what happened. We are told at the end here, For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. God told them this was going to happen. It happened. God was faithful to his word. Not a word of the Lord will fall to the ground. We can rely upon God's word. Whether it's a a promise to comfort us, Or whether it is a threat. God will keep his word. God is faithful. Faithful to his promises. Faithful to his judgments. God will not in any sense revoke his word. The second thing I want to find from this chapter is... God is holy. God is holy. God hates sin. He hates rebellion. He must deal with it. It is 
offensive to him. It is not something that he can overlook. It is not something that he can tolerate. He must deal with it. And in this chapter, he recounts the experiences during that 38, 40 years when they were in the wilderness of the times when the people sinned. We've already alluded to Simeon and how their tribe depreciated by 63%. And it may well be liked or linked to what we studied last week in chapter 25. But this is the way with the Lord. The Lord will deal with sin. And it may well have brought about the decline of some of these tribes because of their sin. There is always consequences with sin. And the holiness of God is revealed in the decline of these tribes who primarily sinned against the Lord their God. The holiness of God is also revealed in recording the sins of the people. We read verses, we read verses 9 to 11. And those that died in the plague, I'm sorry, I'm reading from chapter 25, verse 9, the sons of Elib, Nemuel, and Dathan, and Abiram. This is that Dathan and Abiram, which were famous in the congregation, who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company of Korah, when they strove against the Lord, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah, when the company died. That time the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. We remember that incident some time ago when we looked at it. Korah was the one who began the rebellion against Moses and Aaron. He wasn't prepared to accept the authority that God had given to Moses. He wanted to challenge it. And he did. And others joined in the rebellion. And they lost their lives as a result. The earth opened up and swallowed them alive. They were brought down to death alive. Buried in the earth. God made an example of them. That's what it says there. At the end and they became a sign. And verse 19 reminds us too of something that happened way back in Genesis. The sons of Judah were Er and Onan, and Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And towards the end of the chapter, we're reminded about the sons of Aaron. Aaron, in verse 60, was, and unto Aaron was born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Why is he highlighting these incidents in the census here? He is reminding the people of the sins and his judgments that fell upon them. And he is reminding his people that he is a holy God and he will not tolerate sin. And it's very interesting to note, friends, that... It's not just numbers here. There are names also. God remembers their names. He remembers when, when they died and why they died. 
He remembered where they died and all the instances about it. God remembers these things because he is reminding them that they are a sign unto the people. That God is infinitely holy and he will not tolerate sin and rebellion. God is holy. This is something that we know. But can we know enough of it? God will not tolerate our sins. Our sins need to be confessed. They need to be forsaken. They need to be repented of. God has not changed. He'll never change. He has an eternal hatred of sin. And this census here, this counting of the people, and the naming of those who experience the condemnation and judgment of God is reminding us, if ever we need to be reminded, about the holiness of God. Well, thirdly, it reminds us that God is gracious. God is gracious. If you read verse 11. Notwithstanding the children of Korah died not. We've just spoken about the rebellion that was instigated by Korah. Nathan... um, Nathan and Abiram and their families were all destroyed. People were urged to keep away from them, to keep away from Dathan, Abiram and Korah, to separate themselves from them before the judgment of God would fall upon them. Many didn't and they perished. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. How did they escape? They separated themselves. They separated themselves from their father. They didn't want anything to do with this rebellion. And as a result, they were not destroyed. The children of Dathan and Abiram, wives, families, children, the lot, were all destroyed. They all lost their lives. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. Because they heeded the warning. And they were not going to be part of the rebellion of their father. God is gracious. They they became useful to the church, the Old Testament church. You'll find that some of the Psalms are addressed to the sons of Korah. David used them as singers. Composed Psalms in order that they might be sung by the sons of Korah. The grace of God. God is a gracious God. The father perished, but the sons didn't. We might know something about that ourselves. It may well be that 
We have not been brought up in a Christian home with a Christian education and background. Yet, the grace of God has brought us to where we are. We have been brought into a, a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. We may have come from difficult backgrounds, difficult homes, dysfunctional families, problem families, godless families. Nevertheless, we are here by the grace of God. God is gracious. He's, he's still gracious. He is faithful. We see it continually. In the will of the Lord, we're hoping to be able to remember the Lord's death until he comes. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is again a great example of the faithfulness of God. He promised the Saviour in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. As far as we are concerned, it took a long time for the Saviour to come. Slowly but surely he was revealed in the Old Testament that he came in the fullness of time, we're told in the book of Galatians. According to God's perfect time, God was indeed faithful. He came, he suffered and died, and he worked out a salvation sufficient to save all of his people. He will come again. We don't know when, but we're told he will. Many people will laugh. Scoffers are coming saying, oh, where is his coming? Well, we don't know where his coming is, but we know he will come because he is faithful. God will not break anything in his word. He is faithful. He is holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God is gracious. He's gracious in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing has changed. More than numbers then, friends. We see the faithfulness of God. We see the holiness of God. And we see a God who is gracious to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us.